Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Liquidware, providing enterprise class management solutions for physical, virtual, or cloud-based Windows desktops. And also by PolicyPack Software, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these great sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Cisco Live was held this week with several announcements, including routed optical networking, which they claim is a new network paradigm that delivers improved operational efficiencies and simplicity. The solution works by merging IP and private line services onto a single layer where all the switching is done at layer three. Routers are connected hop by hop with standardized pluggable coherent optics. With a single service layer based upon IP, flexible management tools can leverage telemetry and model-driven programmability to streamline lifecycle operations. They say that the simplified architecture integrates open data models and standard APIs, enabling a provider to focus on automation initiatives for a simpler topology. With a converged infrastructure, as this is, it simplifies the network design, planning, and management, saving up to 45% in total cost of ownership, according to their site. And also, network automation substantially increases network efficiency to lower the cost per bit and maximize profit, which you might care about if you're maybe C-level or something like that. Also from Cisco Live, Silicon Angle reports that alongside its architectural vision, Cisco debuted a new network as a service cloud model that gives customers a more flexible way to buy and consume its networking hardware, software, and related services. So somewhat it sounds like they're going down the HPE model. Cisco Plus will provide a way for enterprises to tap into Cisco's next generation networks without needing to own, build, or maintain the infrastructure. It will eventually grow to encompass Cisco's entire portfolio of offerings, including networking, security, compute, storage, applications, and observability, all available as a service. They report that the first offerings will be available by the middle of this year as a limited release in only the United States, United Kingdom, Australia, Canada, Germany, and the Netherlands. SDXcentral.com reports that WebEx will get a People Insights feature, which will allow for the collection of insights targeted at employees' well-being. So obviously we've all heard over and over again about Zoom fatigue, and we have all probably dealt with it, just being on constant one-hour, two-hour, one-and-a-half-hour meetings back-to-back all day, every day during the working week. Well, starting this summer, Cisco WebEx will begin collecting information on video calls for individuals, teams, and organizations to promote employee well-being, nurture relationships and connections with their colleagues, as well as drive a more inclusive work experience, whether that's in the office or at home. 
Now, hopefully the kicker to this isn't that it can also be used for productivity tracking. And, you know, some of them have like an engagement and attention level based on the attendees attentiveness. So this could be a double-edged sword. It sounds like it should be good for promoting employee well-being, but it could also be used against them, I'm guessing. Although that's just me speculating here. Let's give it a chance. In a security-related story, Channel 9 in Sydney, Australia went off the air last weekend. News.com.au reports that the channel stated, quote, our IT teams are working around the clock to fully restore our systems, which have primarily affected our broadcast and corporate business units, end quote. So it sounds like from reading the article that the channel was hit with ransomware and the systems used for doing live broadcasts was taken down. And they've said that until the issue is fixed, they will be rerunning pre-recorded programs due to the inability to do live broadcasts. Other mediums like Print media are unaffected too. ZDNet has reported that a previous Ubiquitu network breach was downplayed and could be described as catastrophic, at least according to a whistleblower. At the time, the vendor said information including names, email addresses, and salted hashed password credentials may have been compromised, alongside home address and phone numbers of customers. Ubiquitu did not reveal how many customers may have been involved at the time, and customers were asked to change their passwords and to enable two-factor authentication. ZDNet has reported a letter that was penned to the European regulators by a whistleblower that stated, It was catastrophically worse than reported, and legal silenced and overruled efforts to decisively protect customers. The breach was massive, customer data was at risk, Access to customers' devices deployed in corporations and homes around the world was at risk. According to the alleged responder, cybercriminals gained administrative access to AWS Ubiquitu databases via credentials stored and stolen from an employee's LastPass account, permitting them to obtain root admin access to AWS accounts, S3 buckets, application logs, secrets for SSO cookies, and all databases, including those containing user credentials. So that's pretty explosive. Getting into someone's LastPass account, if they're storing all of their work-related credentials in it, that's just a treasure trove of all kinds of goodies for a cyber gang. The source also told Krebs that in late December, Ubiquitu IT staff... The source also told Krebs that in late December... Ubiquitu IT staff found a backdoor planted by the threat actors, which was removed in the first week of January, and a second backdoor was allegedly discovered, leading to employee credentials being rotated before the public was made aware of the breach. The cyber attackers contacted Ubiquitu and attempted to extort 50 Bitcoin, which at the time I guess was roughly $3 million, in return for silence. However, the vendor did not engage with them. At the time of this recording, Ubiquitu has not responded to requests for comment by ZDNet. Cisco Jabbers reported to have a vulnerability that is a 9.9 .9 out of 10 on the severity scale according to bleepingcomputer.com. The vulnerability is listed as CVE-2021-1411. 
They state that hackers will need to be authenticated to an XMPP server used by the vulnerable software to send maliciously crafted messages to their target's devices. Additionally, the vulnerability does not affect Cisco Jabber client software configured with team messaging or phone-only modes. So I'm guessing that's why it's a 9.9 out of 10 rather than just 10 out of 10. Although it doesn't require user interaction and can enable authenticated remote attackers to execute arbitrary programs on Windows, Mac OS, Android, or iOS devices that are running unpatched Jabber client software. So that's probably why it's a 9.9 out of 10. It is very, very severe and doesn't require any user interaction. So obviously, if you're running the Cisco Jabber client, patch. In some Microsoft news, the Start VM on Connect is now in public preview for Windows Virtual Desktop. This is a cool feature that allows you to automatically trigger the start of a virtual machine when you try to connect to it. Pretty important feature and it's cool that it's now in preview. In other WVD related news, Azure Monitor for Windows Virtual Desktop is now generally available. With Azure Monitor, you can find and troubleshoot problems in the deployment, view the status and health of host pools, diagnose user feedback, and understand resource utilization. Just in my opinion, but it's a little limited right now, but does show promise. It looks like it could be very useful for trending resources against cost too, so that's pretty cool. Adventix version 3.1 has been released. It brings the ability to one-click convert packages from AppV to MSIX. There are some deployment enhancements for MSIX and MSIX AppAttach. There's some really nice UI improvements. There's some nice UI improvements and a really great WVD integration that can publish applications directly in WVD either to an existing application group or to a new application group created directly from Adventix. In a fun little story, BleepyComputer.com shared that a researcher who goes by Albacore discovered what is believed to be a previously undiscovered Easter egg in Windows 95. To access the Easter egg, users need to launch the Internet Mail application, click on Help, then go to the About, and when at the About screen, click on the listed comctl32.dll file so it becomes highlighted, and then type the word Mortimer on your keyboard. When you do this, it displays a scrolling image with the names of the team involved in creating the OS. How anyone thought to do this is beyond me. Um, if you'd like to try this for yourself, I suggest you try with the Windows 95 Electron app. Or if you'd like to see it just in action without going through the steps yourself, check out the YouTube edition of this episode, which is on 5bytespodcast.com under the YouTube column for episode 170. Or I'll share a link with this episode as well, which you'll find on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for this episode. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. Thanks once again to Thorsten for this first one who shared a nine video series to learn how to get started with PowerShell. So PowerShell has been around for a while. I know it's a favorite of IT professionals, but not everyone has jumped into it just yet. And if you're feeling intimidated or you're just starting out in IT and you'd like to learn PowerShell, this could be a really good resource for you. 
Cloud DNA has a really great blog post explaining Citrix Secure Internet Access, which is Citrix's uber smart networking routing with really great security features, plus other additional features added in. I honestly didn't know anything about it, but I found it really interesting. I don't want to give away more details. I just rather point you to the blog post since a lot of effort was put into creating it. And I'll share a link to that with this episode too. Eric from zenapblog.com had a good reminder that I'd like to share, which is join the world of EUC on Slack. So if you work in end user computing, maybe you're on a desktop team, mobility team, a virtualization team, Citrix, VMware Horizon, or maybe just an overall EUC team. Join it because there's a really great community on there and really great information shared. One of my own kind of, but I created a control up script-based action that restarts the Citrix desktop service. So I find this very useful because sometimes I will notice that after I try to reboot a VDA, it stays unregistered, it just doesn't register. Happens very rarely, but it does happen from time to time. And I'm able to just go into the control up console, right click, run this SBA, and it forces the restart of the service, which then forces a re-registration attempt. You could also open to modify this script and take it and combine it with another script if you'd like to do things like an automated action for if you have like a nightly reboot and one of your servers doesn't come back up, you could say, you know, if machine is unregistered for 10 plus minutes or something like that, then put it in maintenance mode, restart the service, check to see if it's registered again, and if it is, take it out of maintenance mode, something like that. And I say to put it in maintenance mode, it's not really a requirement, particularly if it's not a 24-hour operation that you're running in to do that, but I have noticed that although even if a VDA is unregistered, it doesn't try to take sessions, so you're not gonna have users try to launch and get an error trying to launch against that server, but when it is doing that registration and initializing phase, I'm finding that users might try to launch to it and get a launch error. So if you wanna be extra secure and extra safe, you could put it in maintenance mode until it's registered. Wouter at retouw.nl shared a PowerCLI script to assign a dedicated VMware Horizon machine to multiple users. This could have been useful for me in a previous life. I had a list of about 50 users in a dedicated VMware Horizon pool who needed to always be assigned to the same VMs due to some printer port configurations on a backend of an app tied to the desktop hostname and their username. If we ever had to remove all the VMs in the pool for whatever reason, which did happen a few times, I would need to manually reassign them. That would have saved me a lot of time. And finally, Dave Brett recommends for anyone interested in getting really great security training at a cost you can afford, you should check out Wild West Hacking Fest. They're being very considerate and taking whatever you can afford, but as Dave says, please do pay what you can for some really top-notch content. Obviously, a lot of time has been put into creating this content, and it should be rewarded. Well, that's it for another episode. Thank you all so much for listening.